Gig Gab, the show for working musicians, episode 237 for Wednesday, December 18th, 2019. Folks, and welcome back to Gig Gab, the show that, like I said, is by, for, and about working musicians. Sponsors for this episode include meetcircle.com slash gig gab. We'll tell you in a little bit why you want to go to that URL. But for now, here in what is now again cold Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in rainy San Jose, California, it's Paul Kent. Yeah. So San Jose is treating you well, my friend. It's good. Yeah, I've done a lot of travel. I was in, uh, you know, Amsterdam for a yeah. week. I was in Milwaukee for a couple of days and I was in New York this past week. So, you know, it's nothing like a little travel to the cold places in the wintertime. Yeah, 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 yeah. You sh- you need to plan that a little better because uh, <laughs> it's cold here. Yeah. Hey, I, um, you know, when it's cold, I start looking, uh, spending more time like digging around online and I found a couple of cool things Uh so so I will I will adopt something that we have done at Mac Geek Gab that we always call cool stuff found because, you know, it's cool stuff that we found or that you found. In fact, if you folks find stuff that's cool, send it to us at feedback at giggabpodcast.com so that we can tell everybody about it. But the uh, the two things that I found were both at, uh, from our friends at JH Audio. Jerry Harvey, uh, of course, was interviewed on the show uh, a little over a year ago, I guess. But the first was. Something for your in-ears. It's the Jody Vac Pro Vacuum. And it's a I, I didn't even know these things existed, or at least not in a way that you could buy, like one of us could buy, but it's 240 bucks, so it's not cheap, but it is a vacuum with like this little like needle on the end of it that's meant for like sucking all the earwax out of your in-ears. And I I find this valuable for two reasons. Number one, I send my in-ears in uh, probably not once a year, but maybe once every, you know, 18 months or something to get cleaned. And that'll cost me like a hundred bucks because you can't always get it out with the little loop tool that they they give you. You know, sometimes it gets too deep in there and it's good to have them have them really kind of deep cleaned. So you could, in theory, do your own deep cleanings as long as you, you know, are careful. But also doing more regular cleanings will keep the um all the drivers in there or the armatures depending on what what you've got all the speakers if you will uh from getting clogged up and possibly being destroyed which i've had happen many many times so could be even though it's 240 bucks it could be a money saver so i i throw it out there uh because if you're like me you might look at this and say ooh that might actually make sense because I've I haven't noticed that the that the gook gets much farther down that you can't get out with the loop tool. Interesting. I well, I I have had issues where my drivers have gotten clogged um in the past and and had to like had the speakers had to be replaced or in them so or the armatures had to be replaced. So Yeah. 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 So and then while I was digging around on JH Audio's site, I found their Wait, wait, how much how much for the vacuum? Uh 240. 240. A little bit more than a stocking stuffer. A little bit more than a stocking stuffer, even though you could probably stuff it in your stocking. It's pretty, pretty <laughs> tiny. But think about it. If you've got a band where you've got, you know, four, five, ten people that are using in-ears, 
And now you can, you know, sort of amortize that cost over five sets of any years. Yeah. Now that becomes, you know, if you're going to send five sets in to get serviced, that's, you know, at a hundred bucks a set. Well, now maybe you're paying for yourself pretty quickly. So, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while I was digging around on JH Audio's website, I found, and I don't know if this is new or not, but I think it is, they're ambient FR uh, in-ears, which are have an ambient port in them, which has always been something I find immensely valuable. I don't always have the option of having a uh, an ambient mic placed somewhere on stage so that I can get sort of the stage wash and the conversation and the sound of the crowd and that sort of thing. And sometimes not everything is in the in the PA. You know, I might be playing a gig where it's only, say, drums and vocals in the PA, and I need to still be able to hear, obviously, guitars and bass. And so having an ambient port in the in-ears lets in some of the sound while still protecting your hearing, um, you know, at, at, a, at a good level. And, uh, and so now they've got their ambience, which I thought was pretty cool. So I'd put a link to that. Expensive, too. though. Well, they're in-ears, right? I mean, they start at $13.99, but these are... They're eight drivers per ear, right? It's four lows and four highs. So, you know, that this is a high end item. It's not a, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it's not an entry level kind of thing. So, yeah, it's good stuff. I, I you know, I, I've been very impressed with my JH Audio Layla's, which are the reference monitor ones. They're, they're not really built for on stage, although you certainly could tune them and use them that way. But for mixing and things like that, they're what does that mean? Fantastic. Um, so the Layla's have a a way of of controlling how much bass is sent to the to the ears. Uh, they're they're built to be with a flat frequency response so that you can use them as reference monitors for mixing, which sounds really weird when you use them on stage. It's just not built for that. But you could add a little more low end or take out the low end. There's a there's a little adjustment knob in the cable. Uh, that allows you to to change this. So you, in theory, you could use the Layla's on stage, but you, you'd probably be better off with something like these ambient FRs for for on stage use. But they're well made, and the you know the company. Uh, I mean, it's Jerry Harvey, right? He's the yeah. guy that started this whole thing. So he's, he's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, you're getting good stuff, and he knows he knows what he's doing. He's passionate about it. So for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jerry's the one who started Ultimate Ears, uh, and then as as he told us on the show, had to sell it because of the way. The way venture capital wound up driving that particular bus. But um, as soon as he could, uh, he got back into the business. But I'll put a link to to Jerry, uh, 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 Jerry's interview with us if you want to go back and listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about. Well, I want to. I did a madhouse on Sunday night, Paul. And so now I am ready to answer your question about what I do to prep for these types of things. Cause it had been like six months when, and when you asked the question, it had been maybe five months and I thought I need to, I need to refresh my own memory on this. So I did that and I want to answer that question for you. But first I want to talk about our sponsor, which is the circle home plus. What this is, is it is a device that plugs into your router and then you download an app so that you can manage it. And it allows you to keep track of every connected device, laptops, phones, tablets, smart TVs, game consoles, all from one place so that you can manage your family's online time across everyone's devices with it. 
as a parent. You can filter what content is allowed. You can set limits for screen time that aggregate across devices. You can monitor history and usage, and you can even reward your kids for good behavior, which is pretty cool. And it's not just me that thinks it's cool. The Circle's been getting great reviews from the Chicago Tribune, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, all of that stuff. Because, you know, if you're a musician, you probably have kids that are creative as well. And they might get creative with how they're using the Internet at your house. And so this is what the Circle Home Plus is for. And right now, because you're a listener of Gig Gab, you get a limited time offer of $30 off a Circle Home Plus. Visit meetcircle.com slash giggab and enter code giggab at checkout. Again, you get $30 off at meetcircle.com slash giggab and enter giggab at checkout. Let's do it one more time with feeling meetcircle.com slash giggab. Enter code giggab. That's G-I-G-G-A-B at checkout to save 30 bucks. And our thanks to Circle for sponsoring the show. Circle. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Let, let's start this whole Madhouse. Yeah. Let's back up a little bit because sure. you throw out the concept of Madhouse all the time. Is it a band? Is it a pit band? Is it a, a traveling, you know, musical troupe? Is it a jam? Is it a, is it a theme night, you know, collective? You know, take us through what, how did it start? Uh, you know, what is it? How did it start? How did you get involved and then get into your, uh, your prep checklist? Yeah. So it's a great question. The, the, really the, the beginning, the first Madhouse was not called Madhouse. It was a show that we did for a three week, three week run two and a half years ago called Bitter Pill. Uh, and it sold out and it was spectacular. And that show was based. Uh, all the songs were songs that were written by my friend Billy Butler. And then they were conceptualized into a very loose storyline. But every song had its own sort of live Art interpretation uh, by by these guys that call themselves the Mad Men uh, of Oopsie Daisy Inc. So it was this this show that sort of told a story and there was a story if you wanted to see one or it was just these songs sort of acted out uh, live in real time in various different ways with puppets, with uh, with actors, singers, dancers, sometimes Artists, you know, there there have been times where somebody would would do some art while a song is being played. So it's not it's not a theater pit by any stretch, uh, but it is it is it is live music played with um, with a storyline. So and, you have this this great creative mind in your community, Billy. And so Billy's not part of Madhouse. Billy was part of of the no. the bitter pill thing, and that was sort of the beginning of Madhouse. And then Billy sort of went off in his own direction, is doing his his band, Bitter Pill, which I play with him with, which is fantastic. And then the the Mad Men went on and have been doing this Madhouse thing separate from Billy. Good. But um, but the concept is still similar to what was what happened. Uh, with bitter pill where every madhouse there is a theme to it. This one was a Christmas theme or a holiday theme, if you will. Uh, but we've had, you know, we, I, I mentioned last year we did one that was a queen night, right? But there's always sort of the same characters in this same core story. Although if you ever tried to map out the story, it, 
it's it's these these magical people that tra- you know travel through time and space and all this stuff. So to try and draw the the storyline, you'd probably go crazy. But but there are these same people that sort of travel into these different lands and different times and encounter things that 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 you know fit sometimes more ham-fistedly than others whatever the musical theme is that has been picked so we did a tribute to the queen night where we played a bunch of queen music but we also played music by other queens like you know aretha and madonna and so they're theme nights they're theme nights with with this ongoing storyline which which the fans love like they absolutely love the the ridiculousness of this storyline which is fun how how um how often do madhouses happen it generally once a month, there were some scheduling issues, uh, both for me and for Madhouse. So there were two that I missed uh, between June and, and December, but but then they also didn't happen as frequently as they were supposed to. But generally speaking, it's once a month. And always at the same venue. It it generally is always at the same venue. There's been one. Which is how big? Uh, 250 seats. It's at the Seacoast Rep Theater. So, okay. And um, how much do you think uh, you get the same people coming monthly? How many people are Madhouse fans? And, you know, this is a thing they look forward to. Yeah, there's probably a good solid, maybe 100, 150 Madhouse fans show up every time. And then and then there's new people coming. I mean, there's, you know, a little bit of churn and all that stuff as 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 is typical. But um, but yeah. Yeah. And it's and there's and and songs are never repeated uh, once a song is played in Madhouse, it will never be played in Madhouse again. That that rule has been bent a little bit. If we're revisiting a moment from a prior Madhouse that maybe two or three times that's happened where we've repeated a song intentionally to sort of call back to a previous moment in the story, because it's a serial story, even though the it doesn't follow linear time at all. But that's that that's sort of OK in this Madhouse world. But it's crazy because. We get one rehearsal and then we have to do all of this stuff. And there's there's dialogue that happens uh, that the that the actors learn that there's dance numbers that they put together with choreography and all this crazy stuff. There's, you know, all these other things that sort of serve the storyline and they all need to tie together. And the music drives the whole thing. It, it's mostly like an opera where there's no there's rarely are there long stretches where there's there's not music. It, this past one actually had more more dialogue than typically happens. But for the most part, it just goes song into song into song into song. Uh, and are these scheduled out months in advance? Do you know which which madhouses you're planning for the next year? Yeah. Yeah. The schedule's already built. And I yeah, I have them all on the schedule. So. And I can I can play most of them. I think one of them uh, conflicts with my son's graduation, so I probably won't make that one. But, you know, otherwise, I think I'll make them all. So, yeah, but it's a little bit nuts because the set list, the song list doesn't really get finalized until maybe two weeks before the Mad Men have lots of stuff going on and they write these crazy stories uh, sort of in their spare time almost. So it it all happens very last minute. And and it. You, we go on stage not nearly as well prepared as you would expect we would want to be. Uh, but for the most part, it works out OK. You know, sometimes endings of songs are a little bit weird. And and the interesting part is most of the people that we're working with are theater folk. 
you know, they're, they're musical theater actors that are used to the band being sort of there, but you don't interact with them. Like they're, 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 they're not part of the show. In, is it a labor of love for everybody or is yes. it, a, is it, fin- it is, it's we, not I mean, a- we make some money, but, but I mean, we do it because we love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting, you know, getting when it, whenever they bring someone new into the, the, you know, into the production of Madhouse, we always have to remind them or tell them, look, this is not a typical theater show. We're all on stage together and it's OK for us to even talk with each other if we have to. You know, it, like you can say things to the band and, and we're right here and we're part of the show and it's all fine and we can communicate. And that's how we're going to make sure songs start and songs end. And it's all good. You know, you can tell the band it's time to start the song if if you if you feel that that needs to happen and everybody's OK with it. And yeah, it's it's fun. Cool. But, it, but it is crazy. So, right. So that's what Madhouse is in terms of preparing for it. I get a Spotify playlist about, like I said, two weeks before the show. And as soon as I get it, this is where the prep begins. It goes on repeat when I'm sitting at my desk and or driving in my car. Not really intentional listening at that point. It's just osmosis, right? Because a lot of these tunes are not tunes that I like know in my at my core, right? It's not like we're playing songs that are part of uh, my personal library. So it's best if I have if I can just get as familiar with them as possible because there's going to I'm going to need to play sometimes, you know, 25 songs and I need to know, you know, quote unquote, how they go. Right. So to have a feel for them. So I just I find that just playing and letting them sort of seep into my brain uh, in the background is a great thing. Occasionally, I will make loose notes during this process, but generally not. If something comes to mind, I'll write it down sometimes. But otherwise, I, I really try not to be engaged with it. I just want to let it sort of happen. All right. So I'll, I'm going to pause you there because that's an interesting thing. So you're describing a process. It's kind of similar to the few, you know, tribute nights I've done or mm-hmm. special event nights. Not everybody that I choose to play is, uh, you know, a hardcore fan of Petty or Springsteen or, or, you know, we did a classic rock night, you know? Yeah. Um, here's an interesting question for you though. Is this process of, of osmosis, does this lend itself? Remember how we were talking about how once you learn something wrong, Christmas songs in particular, it's really hard to get out. Yeah. Does that repetition and kind of, you know, earworm process of just letting it sit? Because that's what I would do as well. But yep. I've been thinking a lot about how hard it is to get wrong phrasing of lyrics, to get wrong. If you're just if you're not really carefully listening and then your brain assumes that it knows something. Well, there's that. You- yeah. I And that's sort of why I don't do anything intentional during the osmosis process. I just what I want to get is. So that in the moment I get I can get close to a feel like what tempo is it? What's the groove of the tune? I'm not listening for, you know, any particular things with the form or anything like that. It's mostly once I'm in the middle of this and I have a chart that is correct, would I be able to play it without having to like, you know, in in a in very detailed way, notate like tempos and and grooves and all of that? It it just saves me a lot of time if I don't have to write out the actual drum part for these things. So mm-hmm. if it if I'm just listening and it's like, OK, cool. And I just let it happen. But I, I really try not to 
actively learn because I, I will almost certainly learn it wrong if I'm if so there is that concern. And and this doesn't just apply to Madhouse. I mean, I do this if somebody, you know, calls me to, le- to learn songs for a band or like when I joined Uptown, it was exactly the same process. Or when we add songs to Uptown, it's exactly the same process. I let the you know, I let the thing go. And then usually the day before rehearsal uh, is when I sit down to really build my charts. Uh, and I, I wait until the day before rehearsal because the script is in a constant state of flux. And if I do it a week before rehearsal, I will have wasted my time on something um, and, and missed something else. So I've just learned it's like, okay, I'll take mm-hmm. a couple of hours. And I, then I sit down and I, what I do is I print out the script because the script, in addition to having any dialogue or, or stage cues, also has the the songs with the lyrics in them. Uh, so, and I don't need chords, although I, I, sometimes we actually put chords right in the script, but other times not. But, um, you know, I get to be able to see where the song's supposed to start, how it's supposed to end, if there's any stage cues, all of that. And it's the script that I follow on stage. And then where each song begins, I sit down, I listen to the song, and now I'm making detailed notes about, okay, how does the song start, you know, And one thing I always look for is when I hear the song, what does it remind me of? Because in the moment, you know, when things are going nuts on stage, I need to be able to start a tune and I need to be able to know like what I'm about to play. I can see, okay, yeah, it's, you know, maybe I write down, oh, it's, you know, 100 BPM. Okay, I can I can get to 100 BPM or somewhere close. That's fine. But what's the groove? What like what song am I playing? There was one song in this. I can't remember which which song it was, but it was it when I heard it, it reminded me of a faster version of the Rolling Stones cover of Route 66. It's like, Mm. great. That's all I need to know. So I just wrote fast Route 66. And now when that song comes up, it's like, oh, that's what this song is. Great. I know how to play Route 66. I'll nudge the tempo up a little bit and let's go. And then once the song starts, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this. You know, here's where we are. Good. Great. Mm. So those sorts of things. And then I'll mark cuts in the song. Uh, I've come up with my own little shorthand, but it it it's proven very helpful. And in fact, when I had somebody else sub for me for Madhouse this summer, I sort of explained to him, to George, how I did it. And he was like, oh, that's a great idea. So I will share it here. I use um, the, the, the L shape. Right. So a and a mirror of the L shape. So like a forward facing L where the. The, the top comes down and then goes to the right. That means come in here and the, a backwards shaping L where it, you know, the line comes down and then goes to the left. That means stop here. And man, is it so easy to just look through, follow the lyrics and it's like, oh, we've got a stop coming up. OK, great. Here's how it is. And I've learned how to do that. And sometimes I'll make a little note about, all right, Phil coming in or whatever. But now I know I can look quickly at a song and be like, all right, there's there's no breaks in this. I'm going to play straight through until the song ends. Great. Or there's two breaks in this and this is where they are. And it that saves me a huge amount of stress on stage trying to remember like, oh, what's that go? Because because I because I'll get that wrong. You know, the osmosis process, like you said, does not communicate form in that way. That's the stuff that I really have to be intentional about. So I marked all those those stops and starts and and groove changes and things like that. So I'll use the 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 standard L shape. If I'm already playing, I'll use the L shape to 
indicate a change in feel like maybe it, it goes to halftime or something. It's like, OK, well, I'll put that in and then in the margin, I'll write halftime. And now I know right at that point, that's where we're moving to halftime. Great. OK, it's super easy. And I can do an hour's worth of music like this in probably, you know, less than 90 minutes. Like it, it usually I can let I can just let the songs run. There's enough sort of vamp time in the songs to give me time to write my notes while I'm listening uh, and charting that most of the time I don't even have to pause. I can just let it go. But sometimes I got to pause and rewind. And so it takes me a little extra time. But um, and and then I, you know, and then I make notes about, OK, like, do I have any questions? Like if it's not obvious how the song ends, I put a big question mark there so that when we're in rehearsal, I know to remember to ask, hey, how are we going to end this? Let's have that discussion and, right. You know, so that so that it's not left up to chance, if you will. So and then and then when the performance comes, it's, you know, we're like I said, we're never as prepared as we would want to be. So and this is the part of it that I love. Not everybody would like this, but I like that that sort of, you know, moderate level of anxiety where you go on stage and you're like, I don't really know what's going to happen. We're forced to, you know stay in sync with each other, that nonverbal communication, really that trust, right? That's what it's, it's, and it's nice to have musicians that you can kind of look at and trust like, yeah, if I fall off the the cliff, you're going to, you're going to save me. And if you fall off the cliff, I'm going to save you. And let's hope we just both don't fall off at the cliff at the same time. How often do train wrecks happen? Rarely. Um, they have, we've had moments where usually a train wreck is, um, a song doesn't end, you know, like the the uh, actors and dancers will come up with some choreography where they hit like a, a pose that's supposed to be the end of the song and we blow past it. Right. So uh. that that the, I mean, that's the that's the most common sort of, quote unquote, train wreck where it's obvious to the crowd that something went wrong. Didn't you know, sync up. Didn't sync. Yeah. Um, we have had the, sometimes there will be tracks that we play along with so there'll be a click in my ear and we'll play along with it and the problem with that is a lot of times the actors can't hear the track well enough and they listen to us and they can't maybe can't hear or they they you know if an actor or singer decides to wait an extra bar to start singing the top of the tune if there's no track it's fine we just follow them Right. Mm -hmm. But if there's a track there and you waited an extra bar, now you're a, you're a bar the late. Off. Yeah. It, the whole thing's off. Yeah. And so those train wrecks happen more often than not. Uh, and and so we we really try to avoid the, the track thing unless it's just one of those things where we need an, a sound that maybe we can't generate on stage and and it needs to happen that way. So it I mean, it we've got we're fine with it, but it. It, I always have to sync up with the sound man and we have a cue that I can give him to be like mute the track, man. Like, it's just we're we're going to we're going to do this one without it. Like, the, they're off like it's it's done. So but it is, you know, like that's to me again, that's part of the fun of it is coming up with all that stuff so that we can communicate, you know, in a way that, you know, we, we trust each other and we make it through. And and then we get to the end and it was like, holy crap, that actually all worked. Like, yeah, cool. Yeah. So the. um 
you know, your process is a good universal, universal process it for is. special events, right? It's so it's a universal process. I use it for everything. Madhouse is a yeah. great example because I'm using it constantly with the same group of, of with a mostly the same group of people. Um, but I would use the same process if, you know, like when I came out to play in your band, I basically did the same thing. Right. You know, it's, it's always the same, some iteration on this process. That's right. It's actually, you know, you can map it out if your band doesn't have an opportunity to rehearse as much as you'd like, but you want to get new material put in. This is it. Yeah, this is it. This is a way to get something on stage. It won't be perfect, you know, depending upon, how, you know, what your standards are for putting new music into your set or, you know, or the venue that you're playing or, you know, any types of thing. Right. It's not a bad, you know, and again, I, I'll just map that. I, so I do, ch- you know, a couple tribute shows and um, those get a couple rehearsals in, but not a lot, you know, really it's kind of like plausible deniability right. of rehearsals. And right. I don't expect right. in those things, you know, if someone loves the artist and loves the music, I know that they're going to deep in because it means something to them. But if it's just guys that I like playing with, I know now in my community, there are people with a varied degree of preparation um, ex- uh, expectations of themselves. I played with uh, a, a new friend, uh, Emil, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he dove in and he caught quite a bit of nuance, more than 95% of the people that I played with. Most people have form key, you know, and, you know, if I'm lucky, some breaks and, you know, that type of thing. But um yeah, I think that's, you know, it's great. And I actually, th- that ma- maps to something I wanted to talk about, which was the concept, uh, the time honored tradition of the house band. Uh, um, yeah. You know, and what, what does it mean to be a house band today? So I'm going to segue over to this conversation. It's kind of interesting. So to me, a house band is a venue, uh, takes a band and puts them on every Friday night, every Thursday night, every Saturday night, two nights a week. And, and, but it's very regular. I think now people talk about, you know, like having a once a month gig at the same place as having a residency. I don't think that's really what a residency is. That's, I mean, I, 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 I'm not going to argue with somebody that wants to call it that, but that's not what I think of as a a residency. Yeah, I agree. A residency is like a, a commitment that the, that the venue is saying we are featuring you in a unique and special way for, for a certain period of time. Right. You're going to live here. And similarly, a house band is a commitment from a venue saying, you know, you're part of our brand. You're, you know, right. I, I, I think about a lot of the venues here, especially the ones that offer cover music. So there was a great venue. It was a great room. Um, it was a British pub, but it was really big. And, um, but they would have like metal music one night, country music one night, you know, dance music one night. And I'm thinking about as a, as a brand exercise, they're a pub first and foremost, right? You know, their food and their bar, you know, it's kind of the thing. I can't imagine that their regular customers, even if they love the vibe of hanging out at this venue, this bar, um, you know, that every style of music was for them. And my interpretation is that venues like to kind of, you know, split the difference and try and get as many different types of people coming through as, as, as possible. But to me, that kind of undercuts their ability to kind of form their own core house audience, right? A house band to me is a great solution to that. I think familiarity, you know, it has to be a good house band, yep. but familiarity can help build an audience. Building the audience is good for the band. Building an audience is good for the venue. It's a regular gig for a band. 
you know, but I think there are certain skill sets that go along with this concept of houseman. I, there, it doesn't happen very often anymore. In fact, I can't think of any venue in my area that actually has, you know, come see our house band every Friday night. Can you think any, any well, band like you that? You know, when we were talking, like when we were talking pre-show, I couldn't, but yet as we're doing this and thinking, as I'm thinking about it now, yeah, there, there are, but it's not like classic rock night that, that, is an easy, you know, sort of box to check and a, a venue can have a different band every night of the week because there's a ton of classic rock bands out there. Yeah. Right. But for like open mic night, that is almost always hosted by a house band. That's true. Right? Yes. And I would say that happens as well here. So for, and for open have, mic and jam band, jam nights, you know, there's a j- core band that is that bluegrass night. Um, happens. Uh, there's a couple of clubs around here that do it. The Stone Church actually has been doing a bluegrass night, and that is the same band. But but it's an open mic ish. I wouldn't want to say an open mic. It's a jam, right? So if you are a bluegrass musician, you yeah. could come and and talk to the band and and sit in, and it's more it's it it's more welcome than it would be say at a house rockers gig, right? You know, right. somebody doesn't bring their axe and just be like, oh, I'm gonna sit in tonight. Like, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, but you know, but certainly at this, at this bluegrass night that can happen. I, I don't know that it's happening here on like a blues night, but that would seem to be the right type of thing. In fact, that, that might be a good way to sort of do that sort of thing is on a blues night. It, I feel like if you're going to be a house band and you're going to be playing, let's just say once a week, right. For a, a bluegrass night or a blues night or even if somehow you can weasel your way into a once a week, you know, classic rock gig at the same venue, you've got to mix it up. Right. Because the idea is that you want to bring the people that like bluegrass, blues, you know, classic rock, whatever it is, you want to bring them back every time you have to. You can't just play exactly the same thing every time. You might have a few right. tunes that that, you know, you, you kind of keep in there. But, you know, bluegrass lends itself to that because bluegrass is sort of a. Uh, I don't want to call it a jam style of music, but it is a style of music where the the solos are very featured and upfront. So you could play the same song three times and it could go three different ways. Right. So let me back this up a little bit because we're getting in the weeds. Yeah. Let's just kind of, you know, what, what genre of music really depends on the venue. And if the premise is the reason that you that a venue would want to do this or you as a band would want to do this is because. The film, the familiarity breeds success. It's a good thing. The venue is offering something that is a proven commodity to its audience. Right. And, you know, and the venue or the band is going to build a reputation based upon that. And so what you're saying makes sense as we get it down into the weeds, the skill set to be successful. Yeah. I think it's kind of venue dependent. I think about a, um, there's a venue in town here. It's a, a barbecue, um, restaurant called Little Lou's. Good barbecue restaurant, and the guy who owns it is a music fan. You know, I've known him for a while. Uh, he put a stage in; it's a big enough place. He put a stage in, and he has a fair variety. And he's been pretty good with uh, midweek blues jam type bands. And on the weekend, he tends to bring in a little bit more, you know, popular music type of stuff. But sure. I think the point is, is that whether it's bluegrass or whether it's classic rock or whatever it is. It, you you would almost say, you know, again, depending on the venue, that the core skill set of a house band might be flexibility, your ability to host sit ins, your ability to take requests, yeah. your ability, you know, to entertain. I was just going to so, say, well, you have to you have to really be an entertainer. It, it, being well, a, a good well, player isn't enough. 
You've well, got absolutely. To, you've got to engage that crowd every week so that people are coming back, not just to hear the songs you're playing, but to hear you playing those songs. Yeah. yeah. And some venues are set up more where the house band is the featured entertainment of the night. All tables are facing the stage. Yep. You know, then there's, you know, there's places that have house bands that are like jazz combos that, you know, are house band, but you know, it's kind of background music to the primary activity of the venue, which is, you know, allowing people to socialize that. So, so it is somewhat independent, you know, acoustic solo acts are often, I mean, they're not bands, but they are house artists where, you know, I, I know plenty of, of folks that'll do every Thursday I'm playing at, you know, JP's pub. Uh, I'm bringing my guitar from seven to 10 and I'll just be there. Or, you know, I'm sitting at the piano from, and again, both sides, the venue and the artists have, have made that relationship because the venue says, Hey, this guy works for me. People like him. They'll come back and see him. Yep. And so, you know, I, I think most bands, cover bands, you know, a monthly gig is, you know, a, a considered a success. My point is, is that if there's a venue that really works for you and you're clicking with the built-in audience and you're adding to that with your draw as well, the concept of pitching being a house band for that venue might be something that people want to want to think about. You know, again, it creates regularity for you, regular gig, regular income. Yeah. It helps you grow your audience. And then when your house band stint ends there, you get to keep the benefit of that audience that you scheduled. I mean, and the whole skill set, you're right. You know, a lot of places that hire a solo acoustic guy, again, it's all, it's all venue dependent is, is the entertainment, the point of the venue. Like, you know, there, there are pizza places and, you know, kind of more like, the owner wants to have music as a nice addition, but they're not music venues. I right. always talk about this 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 uh, coffee shop that I've been doing a monthly at, and that's a music venue. I mean, I posted a sign on our Facebook page where the owner of this venue said, you know, please keep the talk down to a minimum so people can enjoy the music. Yeah, right. Yeah, I saw that. Right? That was interesting. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It is. Yeah. So, but the point, I, the reason I brought this all up is that the concept, if there's a venue that works for you, and again, you clearly are connecting with their built-in base. You're adding to it. Everybody's winning from this relationship. Think about the concept of pitching yourself as a house band. And, you know, as we said, the skill set is we're going to assume that it's a, you know, a music forward venue, a music, you know, yeah. dominant venue. You know, your ability to entertain and engage a crowd, you know, and make people forget the rest of the world for a couple hours every week, um, your ability to think fast, your band's ability to think fast on their feet, fearless ability to try some new material, um, ability to host some sit-ins, whether even if it's a singer and how to handle that horrible person who insists on sitting in as a singer and can't sing. How do you gracefully, you know, get, keep them get to out one of that song. Situation? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that those skill sets are, are, are interesting. And as you know, the, Uber concept of a lot of the, what we talk about in this podcast is how do we keep live music vibrant and alive? You know, we, I, I always go back and think about this holy war that goes on about the, about the iPads and, you know, whether you should use it or not. And the bar has gen- definitely moved. There are many musicians who fully consider that, you know, a, a totally viable thing. Um, I, I accept that as a fact. I think it's, Part of the discussion about I, I just don't see even if you're really good at it. And most people, there are a few that are, but most are not. You know, if your eyes are on the iPad, they're pretty much not on the audience. And if you're scrolling to the next song, you're probably not engaging the audience in as fluid a way as you might want to. 
my my position here is that to be a good house band, yeah, you know, you may need to have a you know a library of of music ready to take requests at any time. The point is, be an inter- always be performing, man. You That's know, just, it. Yeah. You be, yeah. Be forward thinking, fast on your feet. Your whole band has to be fast on your feet, not intimidated by requests, willing to take chances, have a good, large um, uh, library, you know, a good repertoire, um, you know, entertain, be charming, be funny, be thoughtful. You know, it, it, it can work for both sides. Like I said, the reason you get a monthly gig is because you've proven that you're adding something to a to a venue's value. Right. There's no reason why that can't be extracted more. You and know, so, if you, you know, want to do classic rock as a, a, you know, let's say even a weekly gig, right? There needs to be a shtick to it. I think. I, I don't think you're gonna. And I, I don't think you're gonna attract a crowd every week let alone convince a bar that this is a good idea unless there's some spin on it. And one spin is to do live band karaoke, right? Where you've got people, you know, that sign up and now they come on stage and sing one song. So the bad singer is by definition only up there once, right? You can always invite somebody back up if you've got room in the, in the slots for the night, but just something different or do like uh like my friends in, in the wheel of awesome do, uh, I think we've talked about them on this show where they, yeah. they literally have a wheel on stage and they spin it and whatever the wheel points to, that's what they play next. But sometimes it might be tell a joke. Sometimes it's, you know, play a Beatles song. Sometimes it's take a request, right? Like the, the wheel is not just here's the next song. It's ideas. And that allows even when the wheel hits the same thing multiple times in the same in one night, which, of course, it's going to do. You can still keep it interesting and keep it moving along. And and you're making my point for me is yeah. that. Oh, absolutely. You know, you've got to be interesting, right? You've got to add something to the yeah. value. And it also is the, the vibe of the of the venue. Like I couldn't do that on a Friday night in a lot of the dance clubs that we do because people are there to dance and right. to meet other people. And, you know, that's the vibe of that thing. Yeah, you got to manage the actually, expectations. That's right. Yeah. But you actually can change, you know, this coffee shop. I think I've shared that the owner said to me that adding live music, you know, getting her beer and wine license on top of her coffee shop uh, and going into the evening, she said was a game changer for a business. You actually can, you know, this is the type of big idea that if it's a, you know, a certain type of venue, you actually can change the fortunes of a business and be quite additive to it. I mean, I'm thinking about you have a regular semi-regular gig with a man at a pizza place, right? Uh, at a at a wing place, yeah. In fact, I'm playing wing place. Right. Well, it's not a, a music I mean, venue, right? Um, it is upstairs. It's a like okay. a rock club upstairs, but downstairs, it. no. It's a it's a regular. It's just your typical pub. And on Thursday nights, they do wing night, and they often have a band. And yeah, we play there Got probably it. once every three weeks or something. Yep. And uh, you know, the thing is, is that in order to do those kind of gigs. You know, there are venue owners who and I'll I'll share this. I've pitched the idea of a house band a couple of times and have an entirely blank stare. And the blank stare usually boils down to I can't put all my eggs into one band's basket. Yes, sure. I know you're good. And yes, I know you draw once a month, but I don't you know. And I've had venue owners who say I don't like to book any more than every six weeks because I want to keep it as fresh as possible. Right. right? So even though whatever he has over the course of those six weeks, there's a, there's an arch of success, you know, with the different bands, but you know, that said this concept, 
finding a venue that matches what you do. If you're a solo guy, if you're a duo, if you're a trio, if you're a full band, rock band, whatever style of music, if you find a venue that you can see people enjoying what you have to have, I don't think that the the one month time limit is some magic number, you know, again, and on this very, you know, top level premise that familiarity is a good thing for everybody. You know, if someone goes out and says, Oh, that was really fun. Some people come see you every Friday night for six months or three months or whatever it is. And then they may take a break and not forever. Sure. But you know, I think it's, um, it's something that adds a lot of value and it's another way, but the, the, again, the next top level thing is, you probably have to be entertaining. I mean, you definitely have to be entertaining. You have to offer something that is worth the venue taking, you know, a, a commitment, offering a commitment to you. And you have to, you know, do something that is additive. Their their base plus your draw plus word getting out that this is kind of a cool, fun thing. Oh, this guy is great every week. You know, oh, you know, we spin the wheel. You know, I do the I do the um, sing along thing at the coffee shop. Yep. You know, it. I don't want to, you know, boil what we do down to shtick, right? But always be performing. And so, you know, what is fun? What is a good way to take these 50 years of great classic music, you know, popular music and package it in a way that works? And, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's packaging it some way. That's what a tribute group is. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's what, kind of the thing is we're having this conversation. It's it, I'm thinking, you know, yes, in order for this concept of a house band where you're playing, let's say once a week at the same venue in order for that to work, you have to like intentionally and actively do something to keep it interesting because everything is the same otherwise. Right. But there's no reason that that's the only scenario in which you have to, uh, in which you should be Looking at what you do and saying, what can I do every single time to make it interesting? Not not to, let's not just go out and play the same show all the time. And maybe we're playing the same songs. Maybe we're not. But what can we do to make each event something that people say, I'm glad I came, even though I was there last week. Right. doesn't matter if it's the same venue, different thing. But, you know, if we're local bands, we're up, we're, you know, if you're playing every gig within, let's say, you know, whatever, 10, 15, 20 miles of your home, which is typically what's going to happen. You're essentially a house band. It's just you're changing the house. But right. it's the same people that you're trying to draw from in general. Yes, you get the the benefit of, you know, the the crowds at, at different places that, you know, you might be able to pull into your mix. But in general, you know, you're trying to convince the same people to come out and see you. Even if it's a a different place, it doesn't really matter. You know, back to the always be performing, be, you know, think about this stuff, even if you're not doing this house gig the way we're, you know, sort of uh, encapsulating it here. That would be awesome. Here's my take on the wheel of awesome. My spin on the wheel of awesome. (laughs) Have one wheel that is a bunch of the songs that uh, are quite awesome quite often ridiculed the, the, the brown eyed girls and mm. sweet home. And again, I'll say again, I have no problem playing those songs. I right. love playing those songs. Right. No, but they are generally have another, ridiculed. ridiculed. Yeah. I have another wheel that are styles of music and, and uh, <laughs> let, let people match, you know, a reggae brown eyed girl or a, or a polka sweet home, Alabama, or, you know, something like that. That'd be fun. Oh, holy crap. I like that. I, yeah, see, <laughs> no, that's good. Right. That keeps it interesting. It, yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, you don't have to do this stuff for the whole night. This no. could be like you know every fourth song. You know, you right. do just 
keep your show moving along and, you know, just be entertaining. Just give people a reason to get out of the house. If they can't smoke in a bar like they used to and, you know, they don't yep. want to drink to the point that they can't drive home, which seem to be the two most common objections to having, you know, vibrant live music venues anymore. Right. Right. That's right. Fair. Yeah, that's you right. Know, yeah. Give people a reason and hearing hearing, the, you know, the same old song or a whole night of the same old songs every single time going to be hard for you to to change the game yeah but think out of the box and and uh you know we be think, creative. think out of Have the house fun. <laughs> think out of the house yeah. to get into the house that's right yeah that's it that's that's the trick yeah yeah have fun be fun yeah yeah it's easy it's that's too easy to get on stage and and you know get lost in in what you're doing um it happens to a lot of musicians we are you know it it it's often true that the shyest person in the room is the one up on stage. Uh, just pretend you're not shy for those few hours and, and, right. and put on a show and then, and then go back home like I do and, you know, hole up and, and don't answer the phone. It's fine. No problem. But, but go be, you know, be entertaining for a little while. It's, it, it's more fun for everybody, including you. Yeah. Well, at least, yep. yeah, for me, I find it that way. I like this. Always be a house band, no matter where you are. Yeah. All right. Well, we got anything else for today, my friend? No, this is fun. This was fun. I agree. I enjoyed hearing about your madhouse prep. That's great. Universal tips. It is. Yeah, it's it's very. And, you know, you said it, it, this is madhouse. a good way to add songs into your band. It It is exactly how I prepare for uh, songs that are added, let's say, for a wedding. You know, we get the three songs or whatever. Rarely do we get to rehearse those. So it's, you know, chart them, maybe run them at soundcheck. Uh, with Uptown and then and then off we go. And and as long as you're prepared, you know, we the the beauty of that type of preparation is, you know, exactly what questions you need to answer collectively that, you know, I always say, especially in a band, right is a consensus. There There is there is no, you know, universal like this is the right way to do this. No, no, no. If the five of us agree that this other way is how we're going to end the song, that is now Right. You know, it doesn't have to be the way it was on the record or or whatever, but it you, you by doing that style of prep, I can know exactly what questions need to be asked. And usually when we get to an uptown gig where there's some new song, everybody's asking the same question like, hey, you know, that weird thing where it feels like there's a measure of two in the middle. Let's just skip that. OK, great. Everybody knows what we're talking about, even though we've never played the song together before. It's like, great. Okay. We all prepped the same way. We all heard the same things. And now we're, you know, we're having the conversation. So yeah, it's good. All right. Well, that was my little uh, addendum, I guess. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, me well, too. Man. Thanks for, thanks for letting me uh, ramble there for a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> all right, folks, we will, uh, I guess we're going to take a week off and we'll, we'll do something either right before or right after New Year's, but happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, all of that good stuff. And we will, uh, we'll see you, I think right before New Year's, I think, but it might be right after. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> 